you know, you went to a party five years ago and you ate some food and five years later, your stomach is upset and you're like, I wonder if it was that food I ate five years ago at that party. Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. You can see it. I mean, it's crystal clear. It's going to really revolutionize things. Which is a big game changer. All information discussed or provided by Jonathan Bakhtari, MD, Dr. Bakhtari, and or his affiliates and guests are for educational purposes only. The information discussed and provided is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical concern or condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of any information discussed or provided by Dr. Bakhtari or his affiliates and guests. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call 911 immediately. Hi, welcome to another episode of Bakhtari MD. Today, I'm going to want to talk about uh, how to prepare for the next pandemic. As a matter of fact, I just uh, published an op-ed piece uh, in the Toronto Star, and the title was, This Won't Be the Last Pandemic, Here's How We Can Prepare for Disease X. And I'll provide a link to that uh, op-ed down below. But I want to go over some of my thoughts that I put in this op-ed piece and also some additional stuff that I want to talk about. Because in order to prevent the next one or deal with the next one, we have to understand how we got here. As I mentioned in my op-ed piece that their main risk factors for new contagious diseases by far is the animal to human transmission. And to the extent that we can start addressing that globally, It will minimize the chances of further pandemics. One major issue is deforestation, which by definition brings animals closer to populations and increases the interaction. Uh, That's, I guess, somewhat a natural thing that's going to happen as we get population growth. But it is something that we need to be mindful of about this interaction between animals and humans. Um, other things that we have to be concerned about is how we interact with wild animals, whether it's in a market or in other environments. We need to be cognizant of that. And of course, even uh, in laboratories, if anyone's doing experimentation with you know infectious diseases in animals, uh, to understand the potential dangers and precautions that need to be taken. Um, so all of those are ways that we can think about it. If you assume the vast majority of the infectious diseases are, are going to come from animals to humans, then we have to obviously address that and what we can do to mitigate those risks. It would be foolish to think that we can have as much interaction with wild animals and also in, in, a, in, in, the, in the environment, but also in a laboratory setting. So we have to be very, very careful and understand the potential risks from that. Then the next thing that I talked about in this article was how to better prepare for it. And I think how to better prepare for it really involves understanding what we did during this pandemic. You know, we were fortunate enough that we had the mRNA technology sitting on the shelf for, you know, at least a decade. And to a certain extent, this really put a gun to our head to force us to roll out this technology. I suspect it would have taken much longer to roll out mRNA technology for vaccinations had this pandemic not occurred. Which kind of makes you think, what other technologies are we shying away from? Because, 
you know, we're, we're, we're saying our vaccine technology is good enough. We don't need to improve it. And obviously we found out from this pandemic that it's not good enough that, you know, there are, there are better ways to make vaccines, uh, and help people in retrospect, you know, the 800,000 people that died in the U S and, and growing and the millions of people that died worldwide, maybe for the next pandemic, if there are things we can do to, uh, get, uh, vaccines out to people quicker, faster, would literally save uh, hundreds and millions of lives. So I think understanding that whole process and what it takes to get these vaccines out to people in response to a pandemic is really important. So a couple of things, mRNA technology, you know, if I hear one more time that this mRNA technology was rushed and wasn't studied well enough, uh, I don't know what. But at, at the end of the day, even if that was true, as I've said in my previous vi videos, it's now been studied enough. It's been studied on over 200 million people in the US and you know millions worldwide, and we followed it now for a year. That's the world's largest clinical study ever on anything almost. So the whole idea that it wasn't studied enough, and then people say, well, about the long-term side effects of vaccines. You know, people say, I wanna know long-term side effects of an ulcer medicine I'm taking every day for a year, or two years or three years. But that's because you're taking the medication every day for three years. So we do need to know what happens if you take the same pill every day for four or five years. Will there be a sort of a buildup side effect to taking a medication that long? But vaccines essentially for the most part are one or two or three and done. The vaccine disintegrates in 48 hours. So it's not like three years from now, the vaccine is gonna be circulating in your system. It will have an impact on your immune system, which is very natural. And to that extent, you'll have that response. But this whole idea that until we get a vaccine and we give it to someone and watch them for five years and see nothing bad happens them five years later, while theoretically it's possible, it's unlikely that something, you know, as I joked around, it's like, you know, you went to a party five years ago and you ate some food and five years later, you're having your stomach is upset and you're like, I wonder if it was that food I ate five years ago at that party. I mean, I guess it's possible, but it's very unlikely. So I think, I think we need to get past for practical purposes, quote unquote, long-term side effects of a vaccine you got five years ago or three years ago. Now, immediate, short-term, even moderate to short-term side effects are very reasonable to want to fully evaluate. And I think this past year, year and a half of looking at these vaccines have, especially the mRNA, vac mRNA vaccines, have, have given us the answers to what the risks are. And there are small risks and we have a good handle on them. Even the myocarditis risk in uh, younger men, we have a better understanding of them. So there are risks, it's not completely, you know, there's nothing, an aspirin has side effects, everything that you might take as a medicine or a biologics may have a side effect. But this idea of quote unquote long-term side effects is while possible, very unlikely. So given that MRI technology uh, has now been essentially well-studied given the millions of people that have gotten in, we followed it out for years. We need to take advantage of that and not only take advantage of technology, but how do we get it to market? You know, And how do we literally mass produce it we certainly have to get away from this concept that one or two places are going to manufacture the world's vaccine supply. Like 
it currently exists. And I talk, at, talk about that in the op-ed piece. We can't have the bulk of our vaccines made in one company in India or in another place. We need to diversify the supply chain and have the vaccines manufactured in multiple content, uh, continents and uh, be able to bring it to market quickly. As the risk factors that I talked about earlier grow as we get more and more contact, it's going to be even more likely another pandemic will hit. So if that is the case, then we also have to turn our eye towards dealing with one once it comes. So I think we've learned a lot from that, but a lot a lot from the pandemic uh, that we can really now use for the next potential pandemic. One of the things I think we have to get away from is understanding that to bring a vaccine to market cannot take six to nine to 12 months. If we can uh, plan ahead and understand what we're going to do and how long it's going to take to actually, let's say, sequence a potential virus, have the laboratories create the mRNA vaccine for it, and then get into, into production lines all over the world and get it to the market with minimal bureaucratic uh, involvement, although safety is important, we need to make sure that even future mRNA vaccines or even newer technologies are safe. But we have to balance that safety versus the risk of people dying. And to that extent, um, you you can wait until you have the ultimate reassurance that a vaccine is safe, but that extra time that gives you that extra 5-10% reassurance may literally cause millions of people to die. So it, it, like in everything in medicine, it's a cost-benefit analysis. If we're fairly comfortable to 80, 95% certainty, then, you know, sometimes as a society, we have to make a decision that, you know, we're comfortable enough uh, and doing nothing or waiting longer will for sure cost lives and pull the trick and pull the trigger and move ahead. I think these are things that now we can actually calibrate and calculate what the risk of waiting to get every bureaucrat to sign off on every aspect of a new vaccine may have a price, and we need to understand what that price is. I mean, the one thing we can say is we've had over, what, 825,000 deaths in the United States, millions worldwide. How many of those deaths were in the fully vaccinated population? And that's minimal. The, the 90% plus of all the people that have died uh, of COVID have, have, are unvaccinated. So, you know, you can talk about breakthrough cases and it doesn't prevent this, it doesn't prevent that. But so far, it, it is preventing death with a high degree. So even a vaccine that's not perfect, if it can reduce your chances of dying tenfold or 15-fold or 20-fold, that's pretty effective vaccine. Even if you do get sick, even if you do uh, come down with a milder form. As long as you don't get hospitalized, as long as you don't die, that's a success. So that's the other thing. Do we want to wait for like the perfect vaccine that doesn't doesn't cause any breakthrough cases? You never get sick. You never catch the illness. And if you don't find me that vaccine, I'm not taking it. I think I see a lot of people saying, aha, you see, this really proves it. See, these vaccines don't, don't really work because I'll look at all these breakthrough cases. But again, Look at the people who are dying. Are they vaccinated or are they unvaccinated? And if that's your marker of success, that logic doesn't really make sense. And then as a side note about mRNA technology, this ability to get your body to produce uh, 
specific proteins by giving the genetic sequence of it to you to a person it has implications in other infectious diseases that we've been unable to make a dent in like malaria because malaria is a parasite not a virus or a bacteria very difficult to make a traditional vaccine for that and that causes hundreds of thousands of deaths annually as well as you know cancer for example cancers have very specific proteins that they produce and if we can get you to develop antibodies towards those proteins by giving you an mRNA vaccine. Theoretically, we could actually get your own body to fight cancer cells and help defeat cancer. These are sort of the new frontier that mRNA technology may be able to address in theory. Uh, so I think mRNA technologies and newer technologies in vaccine production for infectious diseases and cancer have the promise to save millions and millions and millions of lives in the decades to come. So as I've said before, if there's any silver lining, and there isn't many in this pandemic, it has really forced newer technologies to the surface that hopefully in the future will save even more lives than we've lost in this pandemic. If you've been watching Bakhtari MD, you know that we go over a lot of healthcare content that's meant to educate you, give you insight, and overall, you know, have you better prepared to deal with healthcare in general. What I'd like to do is something very new and unique. I want our listeners and our viewers, if they like, to send me specific challenges and episodes that's have, that has happened to them involving their interaction with healthcare professionals, the medical world, hospitals, doctors, radiology centers, what have you. So send me your stories and what I will do is uh, I'll do an episode where I'll react to them and give you my insight in, in generic terms. No, I'm not going to name any names or people or hospitals, but in generic, what your situation was, how you dealt with it, and what you really want to know that might have been going on behind the scenes. Uh, and I'll do my best. So just send those. Go to BakhtariMD.com. Go to the contact button and just send me your story and uh, we'll grab him and we'll try to, you know, give you our sort of behind the scenes of what we think may, may have happened and give you some more clarity and insight. It'll be a lot of fun in terms of, you know, even episodes that were not serious, but you just wanted to know the background. Of course, if they are serious, we'll also address them. Uh, but I want you guys to have more color and texture to some of these interactions that may that you may have been exposed to um, so let's try that send them in and we will respond thank you so much baktariemd.com contact uh, button and send us your info thank you for listening you can check out my website jonathanbaktariemd.com to sign up for my newsletter and you can watch this full episode over on my youtube channel baktariemd where you can leave questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes. As always, be well. Thank you.